0: So let's take our Bibles. We're going to continue in a series that I've titled, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. All December and even into Tuesday night at our Christmas Eve service, we're going to be elevating Jesus the Lord and Jesus the Savior. We love him in this church, right? Do you love him, Jonathan? Do you love him? We love him, and we want to follow him. The angels were declaring the coming of Christ. The shepherds were full of great fear, the Bible says, The wise men were laying down gifts at his feet. It was beginning to look a lot like Christmas to them, miraculous ways, spectacular ways. Angels were speaking, a star was rising. It was beginning to look a lot like Christmas. In our day, it's a little bit more challenging because Jesus has a tendency to be repackaged and he can get lost in all of the tinsel and the garland and the light. Christmas for Christians has traditionally been on December 25th, and I pray that your Wednesday is blessed of the Lord. That is the 25th. As Christians down through the centuries got closer to December 25th, the excitement would grow, the anticipation, the celebration. Why? Because Christ was born, Christ had come into the world. The very glory of God now manifests in a person in a baby in a manger in Bethlehem who would go on to die a cruel death, be buried three days later, rise from the dead, ascend into heaven, and then send the Holy Spirit to dwell within every believer. This is the gospel. This is the life of Christ. It was beginning to look a lot like Christmas to these people in Judah. Remember, Judah had walked in darkness probably for over four centuries. They were looking for the great light. That was what Isaiah said, and we looked at that in Isaiah chapter 9, that Jesus is coming. That was the first message. Jesus is coming. And I would say to you that he is not coming the way that he came then. He is coming again. And so we're kind of stuck in between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. Then we looked at Jesus being coronated. That was in Matthew chapter 2. And the wise men came, and they were bowing before a ruler. There was a ruler that was being raised up, and his name is Jesus. And they knew, although they were pagans, they knew that they needed to pay homage and respect to this baby because this baby would be the ruler, the king. So Jesus is coronated. Now, the title of the message this morning is Jesus is Consolation. That's the title of the message. Jesus is Consolation. So go to Luke chapter 2. I want to look at verses 22 down to verse 32. Consolation. What does it mean to console someone? Here's the definition, you'll see it on the screen. The comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. Has anybody ever been disappointed in your life? Raise your hand, anybody? Disappointment, any loss, anybody? Of course, we're in this life. Job said that as the sparks fly upward, man is full of troubles. It says that you're going to enter into the kingdom of God through much tribulation, and so if you ever been through tribulation or trials or temptations, know that that's part of sanctification. That's part of the Christian life. And you're becoming more like Jesus the more that you go through that in faith and the more that you bow before him and say, you are Adonai in my life. And I will not reject you, Jesus. I will not give up on you. You haven't given up on me. You said that you would never forsake me or ever leave me. But Judah, in the days of Isaiah, were walking in darkness. There was a remnant in Judah. There were believing people still, like there's believing people today. When you look at the world and the history of the world, there's a remnant, and the remnant is called the church, and Jesus is coming back. He's not coming back for the whole world. Who's he coming back for? The remnant. He's coming back for the church. He's coming back for all of those who are following Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to console? Why was Jesus the consolation of Israel, as we'll see? Well, there were disappointed people in Judah. I couldn't imagine the hardship that they had gone through for that many centuries. I mean, I go four weeks, you know, discouraged about something, and I'm ready to give up sometimes, right? Can you imagine going 400 years or more? Can you imagine the generational depression that was happening in the, in the, in the land of Judah because they walked in darkness, but somewhere down inside of them, they were believing that this Messiah was coming and and he would come and he would bring hope and salvation, but he would also comfort people because Judah needed comforting. And listen, this is what our world needs today. This is what people need. Christians need this. What does it mean that Jesus is consolation? What does it mean to go through disappointments and hardships and difficulties like the people in our text? but then they come out the other side of that, so much stronger, so much more full of hope and peace. I like Joseph and Mary here and the wise men, and I like the shepherds. I like what I see here in the land of Judah as they were experiencing all of the miraculous manifestations, the star and and all of the angels, and all of that was just so dramatic. I like what I see in these people We're gonna see something inside of them that is very encouraging. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born in a stall. He brought consolation to Judah. He brought consolation to Joseph and Mary and others, as we'll see in the text. But just as Jesus consoles them, he consoles you. So let's make this real personal because I wanna see four ways that Jesus will console you and I in this life. There are four ways in the text. I'm going to go through the text, 22 to 32 with you. We're going to look at four ways that he does this. Now, we know Jesus is the consolation, so we don't need to answer that question as to who. I don't know if we really need to answer the question as to how he does it, but I do want to answer the question as to when. When does Jesus come to you in the spirit of the Lord to bring consolation or console you in the midst of all the things that we're going to go through in life? Are you ready? Here's number one. Jesus will console you in the middle of your earnestness. Your earnestness, verses 22 down to verse 24. Listen, you're following Jesus Christ. You have decided in your heart that you will humble yourself before Him. You are taking the word of God very seriously, or you wouldn't be here. Is not not true? You take the word of God and then you look at it and you say to yourself, I'm gonna follow this word. I am gonna make a choice inside of my will that I'm gonna bow before him and I'm gonna do what he says to do. This is earnestness. Earnestness is taking very seriously the commands of the Lord or the law of God, the principles and the precepts that have been given to us in the Old Testament and New Testament and then you're gonna say, I'm gonna follow these the rest of my life. This is what it means to be earnest. I want you to look at the text. 22 down to verse 24. It says that Jesus had been circumcised at the end of eight days. Now, before this, in chapter 1 and verse 59, it says that John the Baptist had gone through that process as well. It is a command. And this is what needed to be done. John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, had come as the prophet, and he was making way, preparing the way of the Lord, pardon me. And so this is what John was doing. In 159, it says that there was a command for him to experience circumcision and also Jesus. Genesis 17 refers to this in Leviticus chapter 12. It says in the Bible, the time, 40 days, the child was to be presented. That's in our text. We would look at that maybe more in a form of a dedication. Here it's called purification. Can we look at the verses together? 22, and when the time came for their purification, I'm in verse 22, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Stop there. So what we see in Joseph and Mary's life is a divine imperative that somehow finds itself down inside of them where they make these choices. That it is the law of the Lord that I follow. It is the word of God that I will live by. So they're doing something here called the purification. And the purification was for really Mary. There's a presentation of Jesus. But you got to look at it from Joseph and Mary's perspective, too, because Mary is unclean, according to the law of God. And so she had bled when she was giving birth. She would be unclean, and then she would need to go to the temple, and she would need to present turtle doves or pigeons, probably pigeons for them because they didn't have a whole lot of money, and people that didn't have a whole lot of money would use pigeons. But she's going up to the temple with Jesus and her husband for the purification. Can I show you Leviticus 12? You'll see it on the screen. Verses 1 to 4, the Lord spoke to Moses. Now, this is the law, the Pentateuch. This is the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. But inside of that are these laws. And these are laws that Mary wanted to keep in her heart. And Joseph wanted to keep. You got to see the earnestness here because this is very serious to them. Let's look at the text. Speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. And at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are complete. The purification. So they're going up to the temple according to the law of God. It says they went up to Jerusalem in the text to do this offering and this presentation of Jesus. It's the holy city anywhere from Jerusalem to Jerusalem is going up in elevation. That says something too about them. They're gonna make the trip. They're gonna do what it takes to get to the temple so that they can go through the process of purification according to the law of God. Psalm 119, verse one says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. That's Joseph and Mary. (laughs) But that's for us too. Blessed are you and blessed are me if I follow the law of the Lord. Does that mean that you go to a temple for purification? Yes or no? No. But the application, the principles here, the earnestness inside of Joseph and Mary is profound. And they're gonna take the necessary steps to do what the Lord has commanded them. Can I ask you that question? Are you doing everything, everything? You're just laying your life down. You're saying the word of God, I will do what it says. Are you that earnest and that serious about your relationship with the Lord? Well, then if you are, Jesus will come and console you. Jesus is the consolation to those who are earnest about their Christian life and doing what it takes. So Jesus is returning again. I had mentioned that he's coming back for his church. Joseph and Mary remained in a place of faithfulness and were called to that as well. Remember, these are hard days for them. They're the days of Herod. There's been silent years, no prophet until John the Baptist comes on the scene. These are tough times for Joseph and Mary, yet in it all, the law of the Lord is their delight So let me give you a definition of earnestness. It's serious, it's intensity. When you think about somebody that's intense about their Christian life, who would you say in the Bible? Name somebody in the Old Testament that you think is intense or serious about their Christian life. Anybody? Moses was an intense guy. He was serious about his relationship with the Lord. Anybody else in the Old Testament? Elijah? How about Joseph? You remember him? How about Daniel? You're gonna get into a lion's den. You gotta be pretty earnest, right? you got to be pretty serious about your Christian life. Who else? Anybody else in the Old Testament? Yeah, all the prophets for sure. No doubt about that. Anybody else back there? Abraham. How about David? Are these earnest men? How about women in the Old Testament? You know any women in the Old Testament that were earnest? They were serious and intense? And you're looking at them like, wow, if I could be just half of that person. Any women in the Old Testament? What was that? I heard everybody at the same time. Esther. And Ruth, right? How about in history of the Christian church? Any men that you can think of that were earnest and serious about their Christian life? Maybe it was your dad, maybe it was an uncle. How about Billy Graham? How about Corey Temboom? You ever heard of Corey Temboom? You ever heard of Amy Carmichael, the missionary, to India? You're talking about serious, intense believers. And when Amy Carmichael was on her bed there unable to move for 20 years. Do you think Jesus showed up? Yeah, miraculously. And listen, whatever you're going through, I'm just gonna encourage you, to hold on to that earnestness. Hold on to that intensity. Be serious about the word of God. Be serious about loving the law of the Lord and his statutes and his precepts. Some would say about Joseph and Mary and they read these verses. Can we show them? 63:1 of Psalms. I think I have it up there. Yes, I do. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You think they read those verses? Do you know they could have read those, right? They could have opened the Psalms. Joseph would have said, hey Mary, look at this. <laughs> we, got a, we got a word from the Lord. It's right here. It's Psalm 63, verse one. Here's another one, Isaiah 26.9, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me, what, earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Earnestness, seriousness, intensity. Jesus consoles you. He will console you. Number two, he does this in the middle of the expectation. This is in verse 25 in the middle of your expectation. What is this? Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem. Stop there. Now we're only gonna spend a little bit of time on verse 25, and then we'll continue through the text. It says there was a man in Jerusalem. There's a lot of men in Jerusalem. What's the point? What's the point? Why, Why is that in the text? There was a man in Jerusalem. Well, it's saying something about the culture. It's saying something about the spiritual condition of many people that there was one man, and this one man would stand out. This is a great man. He's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, just here. There was a man in Jerusalem. How many men are in Reading? Oh, there's probably 150,000 to 200,000 men. Can you imagine being said of you, man, there was a man in Reading. There was a man in Reading. There was a woman in Reading. This is a tremendous man. There was a man in Jerusalem. Can I ask you a question? Are you a standout Christian? You ever seen Christians with like four or five different bumper stickers on the back of their car? You ever seen Christians that have the the fish, they have the Christian fish there, and they want to just ramp it up a little bit further, and they have the Christian fish eating Darwin? You know, it's like, I mean, does that that make us stand out? Uh, Is that what we're talking about? I mean, do you have a Christian T-shirt for every outfit that you have? Are we talking about standing out in that way? Of course not. But there is a man in Jerusalem, the scripture says. And who is this man? And what is he like? And what is he looking for? I love this man. Someday when I get to heaven, I want to meet Simeon, his name is Simeon. Do you see it there? His name is Simeon. It says about Simeon, this man was what? What's it say there in the verse? He was righteous and devout. That's a good word, righteous. You know what that word means? It means just, it means sincere. But when you take that word righteousness and you apply it to the righteousness of God, you're saying about God that God is consistent with who he is, what you're saying about God's faithfulness or his goodness is that he is consistent. If you're saying that God is righteous, he's just and sincere. But you're saying about him that he's consistent with his nature. Listen, if you're in Christ, the nature of God has been planted into you. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, it's called imputation. So if you're going to be righteous like Simeon and I'm going to be righteous like Simeon, then I'm going to be consistent with the new nature that is inside of me. Does that make any sense? And that's Simeon. He's a righteous man. Sometimes we think of righteousness just in the the sense of behavior and duty, and there is that, but it's more than that. This character of Simeon is something to be notable, to look at. The word devout there is interesting. It means you're cautious about being a pretend, by by not being a pretender. You're cautious. So Simeon lived, and he lived, and here's a Latin phrase, corum deo, which means before the face of God. Before the face of God. This is who this man was. He was pure, he was humble, he was godly, he was devoted to the Lord. But look closely because you'll see something here, and it's point number two, and it's the title of the message Jesus is Consolation, because he was saying, what? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for Israel to be consoled by the coming Messiah. Now, how long was Simeon waiting? How long can you stand to wait for anything, <laughs> right? You wait in line at the division of motor vehicles. Is that what it's called here? Motor vehicles, right? You wait there. It's hard. You can hardly wait. You wait in a line at the grocery store. You wait in a department store, a retail place of, Uh, your choice, and it's hard to wait. It's hard to wait for anything, but Simeon could wait. What is he doing? He's living within the expectation of the promises of God that God had said he would do something, and he's not leaving there until God fulfills his promise. This is what you and I need to do. God has made a promise to us, and maybe he's made a personal promise to you, and he's saying to you, wait, 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 and you're like chafing against that waiting process. My encouragement to you is to be like Simeon. Have the expectation. God, you said that you would do this. I'm going to wait right here until you fulfill it. I love this man. He's such a good example to me because I have a hard time waiting. So here he is. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and he's waiting in the temple. This is a hard place for Simeon. It's not an easy place. Sometimes we look at scripture and we think, oh, it's easy for these people. No, it's not easy for them. They're human beings. They have real struggles and temptations like we do. I'm sure he was frustrated at times. I'm sure that he was, God, why? Why are you waiting so long? Please come, please come. I don't know if I can wait any longer. This is a man. This is a man with flesh and blood. This is a man with temptation, with a fallen nature like the rest of us, and he's in the temple, but he's expecting the move of God. He's expecting the Messiah. Do you know what happens when we stay in those places of promise? God will console you. Can you think about this, this time in your life that it has been really dark and it just seemed like you were a million miles away from anybody and you were isolated and you were in pain? And Can you think back when Jesus showed up? What was he doing to you? He was consoling you. Because you were holding on, you were like, God, I know that you're gonna come. I know that your word is true here, right here. I know it's true. I won't reject it. You could take another year, Lord, but if you wanna take a year, I'll be okay with that. In the middle of your expectation. Let me me define, pardon me, expectation, are you ready? A strong belief something will happen or be the case in the future expectations can I just say to you though you got to be careful of expectations of man how many people have ever been hurt by another person right how many people have ever had an expectation on another person that was unrealistic ever done that before (laughs) we all have how many people have ever been underneath the unrealistic expectation of another human being and you felt like it was crushing down on you anybody that's a tough place to be So when you're talking about expectation, we're talking about with God, not with man. Be careful with man. With man, you'll be disappointed. But with God, you'll never be disappointed when it comes to expectations. So you're safe there, right? Anybody want some safety in that relationship? I like what Philippians 1 says. It'll be on the screen behind me. Philippians 1, Paul was talking about expectations chapter 1 verses 18 to 20 what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed and in that i re- rejoice paul's obviously in the Mamertine prison he's in a pit i mean it was really like uh it's a hole in the ground is what it was in rome and they lowered him down into the hole and that was kind of like an outhouse you ever used an outhouse that's what it was so they put paul down into the mamertine prison And this is where he is writing the prison epistles. Philippians is one of those prison letters. And he's talking out of this experience. He's talking out of this place that he's in. It's hard. It stinks. It's dark. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He's probably going to die. And he's saying, yes, and I will rejoice still. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager, notice, expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. How can he say something like that? Well, Paul's in the middle of his expectation. He lived there. He lived in the promises of the Lord. In fact, he wrote some of those. Number three, Jesus is our consolation, number three, in the middle of our encounters with him. This is where we we come into uh, contact with the living God in profound, supernatural ways. This is where you will be walking through your Christian life earnest, expecting the move of God. And then you're going to have an experience with God maybe you've never had before. And the spirit of the living God is going to come on you, in you, through you, around you. And you're going to go, I have not had this experience in my Christian life before. And it's going to continue for you. These are encounters, real encounters with God. I love what's happening in verses 26 and 27 to Simeon. Can I just show you what's going on here? These are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Watch this. Luke records, and he says this about him the Holy Spirit was upon him. Do you see where I'm at? The Holy Spirit was upon him. If you see where I am at, please say amen out loud. The Holy Spirit was upon him. What does this mean? Upon him. We need to understand this. And listen, it's not just for Simeon. The Holy Spirit is going to be upon you and upon me as well. He's not a respecter of persons. So these encounters that Simeon is having are for all Christians. It wasn't just for the early centuries. It wasn't just for those Christians there. It's for every Christian. And so the Holy Spirit is upon Simeon. It's for those people like Simeon that are intense and they're devoted and they're righteous and they're looking for the manifest presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is upon him. doesn't say it's in him. That's Ephesians. That talks about the filling of the Spirit. That's not the same thing here. It's not the Holy Spirit is leading him. It says the Holy Spirit is on him. Romans talks about the leading of the Spirit. That's not the same thing here. Lloyd-Jones would say this is a baptism of the Spirit. This is an outpouring from heaven. This is something that is, in addition to your salvation, the Holy Spirit comes now on you and anoints you. This is when you're talking to that non-Christian coworker, and all of a sudden words are put in your mouth. All of a sudden you can sense that the Lord is carrying you supernaturally. This is an encounter with God and his spirit. It's called the ministry of the spirit of the Lord. Simeon is experiencing the anointing. It's the power from on high. The power is falling on this man. The same power is for you, and it's for me. It's divine help. It's divine illumination. We could say that the glory of God is coming down upon him in that moment of time. Now, does the glory of God come down consistently 24-7 in the same way where the Holy Spirit is falling? No. There'll be times where you're walking through your Christian life and you might not even be looking for it and then all of a sudden something happens supernaturally and you're like, the Lord is here and the Lord is doing something on my life right now and I know it. This is what he's experiencing here. It's unbelievable. Let me ask you a question. Have you experienced this ministry of the Holy Spirit in the same way where he speaks to you He's prompting you. He's revealing things to you. He's impressing upon your heart something. Henry Blackaby, a great man of God, great Bible teacher and theologian, said this is what is known as a fresh encounter. I remember a fresh encounter with my mom. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. This is several years ago. And my mom did not know Jesus at the time, and so I was interceding for her with groanings. I mean, the Holy Spirit was groaning for me. And I had tears to pray for my mom because I did not want her to go into eternity without Jesus Christ as savior. I was the first to become born again and then God would use me to reach my family, so I was on a mission. I I looked at myself as on mission, a missionary to my own family. So she's diagnosed, Lisa and I go to visit her and we're sitting at the kitchen table. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was on us. We knew it. So we're having conversation about the gospel to my mom and I said to my mom, mom if I could switch places with you and I could have your cancer and you could have my Jesus, I will switch places with you. All of a sudden her eyes just got really big and tears started to to well up in her eyes and she called on the name of the Lord for salvation in that moment of time. That was the anointing. The Spirit of God comes upon us. We have encounters with him. Do you know what was happening in that moment too? Jesus was our consolation. Do you know the healing that was happening in my mom's heart in that moment of time? Do you know what was happening inside of my faith and Lisa's faith as we walked through that? This is supposed to be normative in the Christian's life. You're saying, this doesn't happen. Do you want it to happen more? Simeon is a man who has the Holy Spirit on him. It goes even further in the text in talking about this man. It says there in the Bible, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. What was revealed to him? Simeon gets a word from God, and he doesn't get it from Scripture. Have you ever gotten a word from God and it wasn't in the Bible? You're saying, no, it comes from the Bible all the time. No, it doesn't. Does it ever contradict the Scripture? Yes or no? No. But God will speak in addition to it. It doesn't mean that what you get, Dave Green, would be called the book of Dave Green. We're going to add it at the end of Revelation. It doesn't mean we're going to do that. But this is a personal word. A personal word to Simeon as his life direction. A personal word that Simeon would receive, that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. That's what it says. Holy Spirit gave that to him. I think that's pretty cool. Do you find that awesome? I'm like, yeah, I want that to happen to me more and more. Now, I love Scripture, I'm offered the doctrines of Scripture but I want this relationship with the Holy Spirit that Simeon had, where he's saying to me, Holy Spirit's saying to me, go there, do this. Here's your opportunity. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, is that you? Yeah, that's me, that's me. See that relationship with the Holy Spirit that we're supposed to have? These are encounters. I so love what's going on in this man's life. Here's what I think was going on in Simeon's world. Simeon had made choices where he would say to God, God, I'm going to go as far with you as possible. I am not going to hold back. God, I know that this is out of my comfort zone. I know that this is at times scary, but I'm going to go as far with you as, as I can. Have you ever asked, asked the Lord for everything? Ask him for everything. Say, God, I want it all. I want it all. You saying that's being selfish. It's not being selfish because he wants you to ask that. I want you to ask for every spiritual gift. I said that to the Lord recently. I said, God, I want all of the gifts. Give them all to me. But you're gonna have to leave some places of comfort. The Holy Spirit's gonna say to you, that Weston? Are you here, Weston? Dude, he stepped out. He stepped out. You're talking. You know, you've do- you're doing what I'm talking about here with the Word of God. You're, you're stepping out. He stepped out of a-, a comfortable life. How long are you here for? So good to see you, man. I'm sorry I haven't kept in more constant contact with you. Truly love you. Step out of your comfort. Step out of your familiarity. I really think this is Simeon. Do you have to depend on the Holy Spirit a little bit more than you used to, Weston? But it it can be scary, right, at times? But isn't it thrilling too? It's like, this is the kind of Christianity we're meant to live. I can remember several years ago, uh, I was in the middle of preaching to our youth group. And the Lord said to me, uh, the time of your departure is at hand. This is what he said to me. The Spirit revealed that to me. Now, he did use a scripture verse at that point. Paul said in Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. And what was he talking about there? His death. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) I don't know if that means that, Lord. Does this mean I'm going to die soon? And so I went to the lead pastor, and I said, I really think the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me in the middle of a message I was giving to the teenagers and the time of my departure is at hand. I don't think it's death but I think it's the departure from the ministry that I was in. So my uh, next steps were to go to California. I was going to go to the master's seminary. Uh, And so I was going to LA and the pastor said to me, he goes, would you stop in Phoenix, Arizona on the way and preach for Mike? He had a small church that was struggling about 25 people. Would you stop there because he's discouraged and he needs encouragement? And Could you fill the pulpit for him? And I said, sure, I'll do that. So Lisa and I got on a plane, went to Phoenix, um, preached the word of God. What was interesting is that before I went out to preach, I was crying profusely. I'm in the back private room that they had there, and I'm crying, I'm crying. I'm like, what? what's going on here, Lord? Why am I crying so much? Unbeknownst to me, Lisa was in another place in the church, and she was weeping didn't know why so I preached and then we flew to LA then we flew back to the east coast and I was desperate to hear the lord so I got in my face and I said god spirit of god please speak to me about what to do is it adventure or is it LA or is it adventure church and you know what the spirit said to me Adventure Church. I was like, no. What's Lisa going to think? So when she came home from shopping, I said to her, I think I heard the Lord speak to, uh, to me and to us, and we're supposed to go to Adventure Church and not seminary. And her eyes just got really big, and tears filled her eyes, and she goes, I When we were flying into Phoenix, she didn't tell me this. She said, oh God, would you lead us to this place instead of LA? What happened in that moment of time? That was an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 27, again, Simeon, he came in the Spirit into the temple. This would be more of the leading of the Spirit his direction from God, like I just gave you that story. We were led. He was led by the Spirit of God. I want you to talk to Andy Ortiz. He's in New Jersey right now with family, so when you see him on Christmas Eve, he'll be back for that. I want you to ask him about how the Holy Spirit led him. I want you to get to know him really, really closely, because that is a man who is well acquainted with the Holy Spirit we were talking the other night for two, three hours about spiritual warfare. And I resonated with him. I said, so how did God guide you? And how did he, are you saying that this is what the Lord spoke to you? Is this what the Lord did in your life? And he's like, yeah, that was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said this and the Holy Spirit did that. And the Holy Spirit said, get to know Andy and ask him questions about how the Holy Spirit has led him. Because he was here in Reading for a while and he he jump ship like Jonah. And he left. He went to Florida. And then the Spirit of God said, you need to be back in Redding. Aren't you glad that the Spirit led Andy Ortiz back to (laughs) Redding? It's an encounter. This is what God does. Here's number four. In the middle of our exaltation. So when we exalt Jesus, this is what Simeon does. If you look at verse 28, uh, we'll go down to the end of the verses that we're supposed to be looking at here. Jesus is in the temple. Mary and Joseph are there. He took him up in his arms and blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. There's an exaltation of Jesus. You can imagine that as he's holding baby Jesus. Here he is. He just hold, he's holding this infant and he's just declaring the greatness of God. He's just lifting up and exalting God. How excited he must have been because he had waited so long. But see, in the midst of the praise and the adoration and the exaltation of your life, don't you know that Jesus comes and consoles you whatever you're going through? Have you ever found that to be true when you're worshiping with song? How many people have ever cried a tear at Harvest Reading during the worship songs? It's okay to admit tears, guys. We can admit tears, right? What's going on there? Jesus is consoling you. That's what he's doing. People through the years have cried in the worship services when they exalt Jesus. And they're like, why am I crying? Why do I cry during the singing? I've had people come to our church up in Connecticut and they would come in for the first time. Some of them were non-Christians. We would get a lot of non-Christians coming to our church up in Connecticut. It was awesome. Loved it. These non-Christians would come in, and they said, when the worship was happening, I just started crying. You're saying, well, they're not really exalting God. They don't even know God. Hey, you know what? I can't explain all things. All I know is I believe the Spirit of God was doing something over them, and they couldn't contain the tears. Christians down through the centuries during singing and praising God, start to weep. Jesus is there, by his spirit, consoling you. This is what he does. What I love about these verses I just read is that Simeon is giving the gospel. Really, the gospel is Jesus, come in the form of a baby, lived a life of 33 years, died on a cross, was buried, risen from the dead, Went back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. That's the life of Christ. That's the gospel. And if you haven't believed on the gospel, my encouragement would be to repent. Turn your life over to Him. To say, Jesus, I believe you. I've been holding on to my life way too long. I'm letting it go to you because I believe now that you can take it. Take my life. I want you to be my Savior. Can we all stand? We're going to exalt the Lord. We're going to do what the Bible says to give praise. In fact, it says he inhabits the praise of his people. Think about that. He inhabits it. Tony Bellotta in the back. Hey, man, what's going on? You praise the Lord. Don't you know that the spirit of the living God inhabits that praise? Even back there where it's 115 degrees, I mean, how hot is it back there, right? Nobody passed out. God inhabits the praise of his people. Father, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that during this last song, your Holy Spirit would move among people and bring healing, bring consolation. There's places of pain. There's places in people's lives where they're being stretched right now out of their comfort zone. Maybe it's a relational thing. Not sure, Lord. But whatever it is, would you just come in power? May they have an encounter with you during this song. Would you take the tear ducts in their eyes and just open them up? Touch them at the deepest places of their heart that's been broken. God, we pray that you would help us to realize that you are Jehovah Rofi, the God who heals. You're a rescuer. You're a healer. You're faithful. You're consistent to who you are, your nature. You're always good. You're never not good. You're perfect in peace. So Holy Spirit, we're praying for encounters right now as we exalt the name of Jesus. We lift his name high. Can I just encourage you, underneath your breath, just say, move. Move, Holy Spirit. Move. I'm asking for your anointing. I'm asking you for to come down on me. I'm asking for you to fill me, for you to lead me cannot make it another step if you don't help me. I want to experience you more than I ever have in my Christian life. Oh God please you see my heart you see my heart I want to be that righteous person I want to be that devoted person like Simeon I believe your promises let's sing his praise lift his name We sing it to you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name.